0: right? Mm-hmm. Hi everyone and welcome to Bat on Paper. Wait, okay. Hi everyone and welcome to the Bad on Paper podcast. Is that right? Am I having a stroke? Same however you want. You, you just do it. I don't know what's going on with me. I can't think straight.
1: <laughs> Hi everyone. Welcome back to Bat on Paper podcast. I'm Becca Freeman.
0: And I'm Olivia Mentor who momentarily just forgot like how to introduce this podcast. So that's the energy we're dealing with on this this day. Don't get
1: discouraged because we have an excellent episode today talking all about how libraries work, which is a topic that is very near and dear to both of our hearts.
0: Yes. And a listener suggested episode. So thank you so much for that. With a
1: listener guest.
0: Oh, yes. Listener focused.
1: For the listeners, by the listeners. (laughs) I love it. But before we get into that, tell me your high.
0: My high is that I have been traveling around the east coast we were visiting my parents in south carolina and now we're in florida visiting jake's family and it's the first time we have really left the house and left upstate new york for like this entire year basically we've just been kind of there all the time with the exception of like a couple two-day trips or whatever i feel like it's been really good for me because i've had a lot of moments this year where i've been like am I a total idiot for like moving somewhere where I have no family or friends? (laughs) Like, are we just making our lives so difficult and just really second guessing everything? I don't know. I have just been kind of reminded like how much I like having my own space at the same time, like how much living a little bit further away, like makes you appreciate family, just visiting them in other places and stuff. It's just given me this like renewed energy and perspective about, the house and the move and life in general. Yeah, I think I just, I needed a little bit of a break to kind of feel, have some perspective, I guess. That's great. I'm glad for you. Thanks. What's your high? We kind of swapped (laughs) and you went to upstate New York and I went away. Yeah, exactly.
1: I went um, upstate New York to, my friend Natalie has a house up there. It's actually pretty close to your house Mm -hmm. and they live on a lake and We had this girls weekend and I was only there for 48 hours, but it felt like kid summer. I mean, with wine, but it it, like it truly felt like the summers of my childhood doing so many activities. Like we didn't leave the house really except to go outside or to like go on the boat or something. And, you know, we went swimming. We ate hot dogs. We went to watch the sunset on the boat we went to friends houses we played pickleball like it was so it felt like such a summer bucket list weekend i feel so sustained i just like at the end of the day i felt really sun tired and just happy so it was the best it looked very fun it was so fun we had on saturday so they live on this lake and um all of the people who live on this lake have these like pontoon boats, basically. And so a bunch of people came over to the cove that they live in and they tied all their boats together and everyone just like was like floating in the lake. It was so fun.
0: That sounds so fun. Next time you go there, I'm going to crash because I'm really not that far away.
1: Yes, you should. We talked about how much we would have loved for you to come visit. So I'm Next just time. feeling very sustained and like, I don't know. It's something I don't get in the city. You know, Mm -hmm. and the vacations that I take are usually it's different. It's like you're going out to dinner. You're it. It doesn't feel like this kind of like rustic outdoorsy thing. And Mm -hmm. I I didn't realize how much I
0: missed. Like You're not getting ready to go anywhere. You're not. I
1: like I took one shower. I didn't do my hair. I was just wearing like shorts and T-shirts the whole weekend and a bathing suit. And it was great.
0: Lovely. Love that what's your low i feel it is related it is related
1: related. well conversely the downside of that is i am covered in mosquito bites just covered i am they've
0: been kind of bad up there
1: (laughs) i'm the friend that is the decoy where uh, it was funny because my friend lydia was like you know i usually get so many bites and i'm not getting any this weekend i was like well that's because they're all biting me i'm the scarecrow when it comes to mosquito bites so i'm a little covered in mosquito bites but um it was worth it
0: good What is your low? My low is I just feel like I don't have enough time in a day right now to just, like, get everything done. (sighs) Ooh, I feel that. And every night I go to sleep and I'm, like, going to wake up at 5. And I just (laughs) don't. But I just feel like we're trying to see family. I'm trying to get work done before we go on vacation. Like, I'm trying to not be distracted but also be productive. I Like, I don't know. It's just been, I just need more time, but that's okay. Oh, I, I have been there. Hopefully when I get back from vacation, I'll be in a little more of a like balanced, organized headspace. You know what I love? You know, that feeling like after vacation where you're like rested and you're like, I'm going to change my life when I get home. Sure. Sure. Like I'm renewed and I'm going to have a new schedule. I'm going to have a new workout routine. I'm going to be flossing my teeth every day. I feel like I'm already getting into that headspace, just like having some distance from the house. So I'm excited for post-Mexico Olivia to come out of her cocoon. I don't know.
1: I like that you're not even excited for Mexico. You're excited for getting home after Mexico. (laughs) You skipped right past
0: that. That's really, that's me. (laughs) I'm like, how can I find a way not to be just enjoying this present moment? That's, uh, That's Olivia. Anyway. Let's get into this episode. Carly has worked in public libraries for over 10 years and has a Master of Library and Information Science. (laughs) Through her work, she loves to help people find their perfect read or just the right community resource. Carly always has a book in one hand and a cup of coffee in the other. Carly is also the host of the Tales from a Bibliophile podcast. Welcome, Carly.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. We're so thrilled you're here. This was actually a listener request episode. Somebody in the Facebook group said why don't you do an episode with a librarian after Olivia talked a few months ago about how much she was enjoying her local public library. So we are Mm -hmm. so excited to pick your brain about all things library because I actually get quite a decent amount of FAQs every time I talk about my own book about how Mm -hmm. things work from the library buying side. So we want to hear all about your career. But we also have some very specific library questions that we are not equipped to answer.
2: I love that. I love very specific library questions. A lot of people don't understand just because it's not something you interact with regularly, um, the like inner workings of the library. And so I love talking about it. I think it's super fun.
0: Ooh, the inner workings of the library sounds, I don't know. <laughs> that would also like be very a good Hog- Hogwarts-esque. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But before we get into the inner workings, tell us about your library journey. Like, How did you get to this spot in sure. your career
2: so I was raised in public libraries my mom took me all the time when I was a kid um, we moved around a lot but my grandparents lived in the same town and they would take me to the same library every weekend and then in the summers and so I grew up doing summer reading programs and just like immersed in public libraries and When I was in college, I needed a part-time job and the library in our town was hiring for like 12 hours a week, I think. So I worked there for the last three years of my college time. And I realized while I was working there, this would be a really fun job. Like I really enjoy all the aspects of it. I was basically a library assistant. I helped check people's books out and I led a book club and I helped with computer stuff, but I was very basic. And so I did that while I was in college, figured out while I was in college and when I was working in the library part-time that I wanted to do it full-time, but I wanted to make myself work full-time in a library for a couple of years before I decided to do a graduate degree. So I worked as a children's librarian for three years before I started my grad program. And so, I don't know, masters for library science is kind of tricky. Not every library requires it. Some of them pay more, some of them don't. I decided since I was really young and I didn't have kids and I didn't have any other commitments at the time that I wanted to go ahead and get it. So I did a 2-year online program through Valdosta State University. So then I worked in that children's library position while I finished grad school and then I I did sort of take a break and work part-time as a reference librarian. And then for the past year, I've been a children's librarian again, too. I moved up a lot through my library regional system, um, which helped I kind of stayed in the same area for a while and just sort of moved around to the position that fit me the best.
1: I'm very curious. What would you say are the biggest misconceptions about being a librarian?
2: So... The first one is that it's it's so funny, like it's kind of an insider thing, too. But a lot of people say librarian and a lot of people who work in libraries don't say librarian unless you have a degree in it. Oh, okay. But there are. Yeah. But there are also people like I have a degree and I've always just said librarian because I think that based on my experience I worked eight years in the library before I had a degree, and I was doing all the same things that I'm doing now. And it just, I think that the people who work in libraries are mostly really hard workers. They're very dedicated to public service, and they are doing pretty much the same thing. There's like one or two things that some libraries won't let you do if you don't have a master's. Um, but for the most part, there's like a, it's like a weird line between librarian and like library worker, but I've always just called us all librarians. And then the other really big one is that we get to read all day. We get to read sometimes, but it's mostly only if we're reading for like a book club that we're hosting. We don't often have time to read a lot while we're on the clock. But
0: this is a specific question I have. It just popped into my head. Is the Dewey Decimal System still a thing?
2: It
1: is still a thing. Um, it's kind of. And a, what is
0: it? Because yeah. I, I do not this remember. This is just giving I me just like remember. a lot of
1: flashbacks to yeah. to elementary school.
2: Yeah, I, so it, it's still a thing. It's the way that we organize nonfiction in a library. Um, so most public libraries for fiction, you just organize by author last name. But sometimes libraries break them out into genres, but it depends on how big the library is. But for nonfiction, we use the Dewey Decimal System, which groups similar topics together. And it's, so it's like 811 is usually poetry and essays and stuff like that. It's kind of interesting, though, because it's it's a little bit controversial in the library world because oh. the, the guy Dewey, the person who came up with it, was actually kind of a terrible person oh <laughs> and yeah of course he was yeah and Gosh. the dewey decimal system is like there are some bits of it that don't make sense or, or lean a little bit controversial like some of it leans a little bit racist in the way that it's grouped like cultural things and stuff like that but it's so ingrained in the library system that it's like it would just take so much work to undo it and do a new thing. But it's what pretty much all public libraries use. And there's also the Library of Congress uses a Library of Congress. It's just what it's called. This is a classification system.
1: But yeah, Dewey decimal is still very much a thing. But I have to imagine card catalogs are no longer a thing.
2: Or are they? <laughs> okay. Card no, card catalogs are no longer a thing, unfortunately. I love the well I love the aesthetic of a card catalog. I would not love the work of a card catalog. Everything's digital now. So it's all, it's the same concept, but it's just all in a computer. Right, now.
1: right.
0: Do they still do the stamping? Is that the card? Is that, you yes, know, like the stamp the catalog. date?
1: Yeah.
2: So yes. we we do that sometimes. We have a lot of material that we call uncatalogs that was donated to us that we want to make available to patrons, but we don't want to use the resources or are not. Like it doesn't fit into our our normal process of adding officially. So we do stamp those with a date and it's fun. But yeah, the date (laughs) stamp is, is technically card catalog.
0: Okay. Can you tell us like what a typical day in your job looks like right now?
2: Yes. So right now my job is a children's librarian and I'm taking a break from programming because it's um, right after summer. So right now I'm organizing and cleaning out a lot of things, but a typical day, like a day when I have programming, I would do story time in the morning and I would be helping check out books afterwards. I usually spend about an hour doing story time and then they hang out for a little bit longer after. And so I'm kind of in there talking and getting to know them, but I also do collection development, which is what we call purchasing, selecting the materials that go on our shelves. Um, so I do occasionally we will be sitting down to do a lot of that and go through and, and build our carts and decide what we're going to buy that month and that sort of thing. It's a lot of power.
1: I know, with great yeah. power comes great responsibility. <laughs> it does feel like that, yes. <laughs> so what would you say is the most rewarding part of your job? And then on the flip side, what would you say is the most challenging?
2: The most rewarding for me is... Seeing kids get really excited about coming into the library and getting to help them or even adults find just when people in general get really excited about the library if they've never been or it's been a long time or they don't know about all the stuff that we offer. Um, So getting to explain all of that to them and help them find the specific resource or like find a book that they're really excited about. I just love watching um, patrons get really excited about the library. It makes me excited.
0: That's me. That's me right now. I'm experiencing my <laughs> library, I don't know, re reintroduction. It's yes. been great. It's yeah, lovely.
1: We, we love that. It's also so exciting that you get to work with kids because I have so many library core memories as a child yes. that have just mm-hmm. like imprinted on my brain, whether it's, I, I remember I used to be so fanatical about the babysitter's club little sister series and finding all of yes. the books at the library or i remember specifically this was at our school library there was such a heated competition for this one book it was like a non-fiction reference book about orchids and we were obsessed okay. with it it was like the most popular book everyone fought <laughs> over the orchid book that's I amazing. don't know why. <laughs>
0: what?
1: Yeah, there was like there was also some like really gory pictures of, I think some orchids eat bugs or something, okay. something like that. Like ve- like not a Venus fly flytrap, but kind of a Venus flytrap.
0: Fly it was the one PG thirteen. Yeah, fl- but it was plants related book.
1: Orchids. <laughs> Um, that's so, amazing so you're forming the next generation of core library memories that is one of my
2: like personal just it just delights me so much because I was such a library kid too and I I have these really strong core memories and so to be able to be that person for another child just is it makes me so happy it's a dream as far as the most challenging is we so Public libraries are open to everyone. We're one of the last places where you can exist in the building without having to purchase something or do something specific. You can just come in. You can sit down. You can use our computers, or just sort of exist in a place that's got heat or air. And so, for a lot of um, and clean bathrooms. And so, for a lot of libraries, we deal with a larger homeless population or people who. Need assistance in ways that we might not specifically be able to offer them, but a lot of there's a lot of misconception that the library can sort of do all of that. Um, And so, some libraries do, like our main branch, has a social worker that can help people find resources and stuff like that. But at the smaller branches, like the one I work at, we don't have access to that resource as much. It's challenging when Someone has, comes to the library and has a specific problem and we can't help them or we aren't able to figure out the answer for them at that moment. It is nice that we, there's usually something we can help them with, but it is, it's a little sad or, or frustrating when we can't help them find the exact resource
0: that they need. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that, but it's true that like, there's not really anywhere else I feel like that exists anymore that you can just go in and just yeah. like, exist without putting forth without buying something or right. pressured to do something. <laughs> yeah.
2: And we have free Wi-Fi and we have computers you can use. And like I said, we have clean bathrooms and we have heat and air. And so a lot of, especially the bigger branches that are in bigger cities have a lot of people who are homeless or who just don't have anywhere else to go during the day. And so they'll come to the library. A lot of retired people will visit the library a lot for that reason. Um, but it is one of the, the, the last sort of standing places that you can go without having to meet some sort of expectation that you might not be able to meet.
1: Let's take a quick ad break. In case you're looking for a new podcast to love, I want to tell you about one that I think you might like, and it's called A Thing or Two with Claire and Erica, and it's hosted by best friends and business partners Claire Mazur and Erica Cerullo. They talk about everything from shopping and cooking to tougher topics like what to expect during menopause and deciding to have or not have children. It's the perfect mix of light and real.
0: Like ours, their podcast has been around for years and I know it can be intimidating to jump into a podcast with a big back catalog, but I assure you, you can start anywhere with this one. I recently listened to an episode where Claire and Erica review the items that their guests have recommended and these are things they called their thingies, which I enjoy, but they talked about all of them and the ones specifically that they have tried themselves and it was just like a really enjoyable, but also very informative listen. So we've heard from many of you, and I agree
1: that our podcasts have a lot in common. I kind of think of them as the slightly chicer and more sophisticated version of us. And also, if you're a parent, Claire has a toddler son and talks a lot about motherhood and has some of the best non-cheesy kids' clothing and toy wrecks. So
0: if you're into that, I think you'll definitely enjoy They do such a great job with shopping picks in general. They used to own a company called Of A Kind that stocked artisan gifts, so jewelry and office products, home stuff. So they're incredibly in the know when it comes to who is making the best of the best, from bath towels to baby gifts to t-shirts. If you're looking to add a new podcast to your lineup, give A Thing or Two with Claire and Erica a try. Again, that's A Thing or Two with Claire and Erica, and it's available wherever you're listening to this podcast. You were talking about before, like how the library offers so many resources that people aren't aware of. Mm-hmm. Could you talk a little bit about some of those, maybe? Sure. So,
2: the kind of obvious one is that we have books, um, physical books. We also, most libraries, almost all libraries, have access to ebooks and audiobooks that you can access through your library card for free, just the kind of the same way you do a physical book. We also have things like park passes and museum passes. So we're- You do? We do, yeah. So I'm in Georgia and we have um, state parks. And so we have the libraries purchase state park passes that you can check out and it like covers your parking fee. We have, we're within about two hours of Atlanta. And so we have museum passes to a lot of the museums in Atlanta can like just check out the pass and take it and it covers your entry fee for like up to a certain- amount of people. That's cool. Um, it is really great. Our like most popular resource like that is the zoo Atlanta pass. And so there's a DVD that you can check out and watch. That's got like a 20 minute history of the zoo. And then you bring it back and you get a pass for like two or three people that covers admission price. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we have a lot of great stuff like that, but we also like my library checks out board games and puzzles and vinyl records. There's a lot of different items that you can check out other than books. Um, We have the podcast studio that you can use. We have what we call shareables, but they're like, there's a ukulele, there's some kids sort of activity packs and then we also check out chromebooks and hotspots so you can access the internet if you like we we have a lot of rural area around us and so we have a lot of people who don't have access to internet um so either checking out something like that or coming into the library to use internet is a
1: is a great option for them truly you are (laughs) blowing my mind with some of these things (laughs) that i had no idea that the library offers very cool um, that's this is one of my favorite conversations to have because most
2: libraries have so much more than books and you don't necessarily realize it if you're not super paying attention to it. When you get your library card, they might mention some stuff. But my best piece of advice to figure out what library what your library might have is look on their website. A lot of the libraries will mention different resources that they have, or just go in and say, "Hey, someone mentioned that you guys might have." Things I can check out other than books. Or if there's a specific thing that you're looking for, like our main headquarters has a, we call it the digital media center. And they have like a machine where you can take your VHS tapes and convert them into DVDs or digital files. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. So if you if there's a specific thing you're looking for, I always recommend asking. And if your library doesn't have it, they might know of another library um, or another community resource that has a specific thing that you need.
1: You know what? I I mean, you're the expert here, but I have a friend who is uh, very into checking out cookbooks from libraries, which I would never think to do, but is so smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: I love to do that because you can look at them and see how many recipes you're actually going to use before you purchase it. Um, Mm Because cookbooks can get pricey. Um, So, and they're also just really fun to flip through. They're fun to read through and look at all the pictures and the different, a lot of cookbooks have like stories and little essays and stuff in them. Um, But yeah, we have a great cookbook selection.
1: So, I want to talk about how books get chosen to be at libraries. So, do librarians get to choose which books go into circulation? Like, what does that process look like? So, most
2: libraries or library systems that include Like multiple library branches, is what we call them, just different buildings, have what's called a collection development manager. And they are sort of the person that's in charge of all of it. But underneath them are different people who work in the system. So for me, I work in a library system. And so we have a main branch that has a collection development manager. And then we have other branches. And a lot of people who work in the branches are what we call selectors. And so they get to help the manager pick what goes on their shelves if you're a smaller library or a smaller system you may not have quite that elaborate system but the process is kind of the same so we get a budget from the like state tax money and then what we call our friends at the library like our fundraising groups what they give us until we have a budget that we get at the beginning of the year and then we basically some librarians will like Divide it up and be like, I want to spend this amount of money each month. Some of them just kind of go until their budget's gone, but we get to choose. So for me, I am a children's librarian, so I choose our children's materials. Our branch manager helps choose our fiction and nonfiction, or mostly fiction. I think our collection development manager likes nonfiction, so she does that one. And then our YA people get to choose what books they want. That's not always the case. Sometimes there's just one person choosing those, but the process is the same. So we go through a lot of bestseller lists. We do a lot of reviews. There's a few different magazines that are like professional Magazines in our field that review books and we go through those and then we go on patron requests. So one of the things we love that I don't know that everybody knows is you can request specific books at your library. And we love when you do that because it helps us figure out what to buy and it helps us figure out what is actually going to check out because you are actively asking for that. So it's we enjoy when patrons offer suggestions or offer request of things that they would like. But yeah, it's kind of a mix of what's popular um, and what kind of hole we're filling in our collection and then what is being requested from us.
1: And how does it work? Does a library usually order one copy of a book, multiple copies
2: of a book? So it depends on how popular the book is and what your budget is. Um, for children's, I typically only order one copy of books unless it's a really popular series. Like there's this graphic novel series for kids called Dogman. It's written by the guy who wrote Captain Underpants, if you're familiar with that. Mm. Um, kids are obsessed with it. Like, I can't keep it on my shelf. So I buy multiple copies of that. And so, like, for adult fiction, we only bought, like, one copy of the new Emily Henry, but we made sure that every branch in our system had a copy so that there were multiple copies. And then if it's a really popular book, we will buy more than one copy of it. And do libraries
1: get discounts on books? Sort of. It's different for each
2: library, but we order through a specific company and we because we're ordering in mass, we get them sort of, it's not like a huge discount, but we get them cheaper. Um, For children's picture books that are like hardback, they're usually anywhere from 15 to $19. And so that's like a couple dollars cheaper. Um, So we get a bit of a discount, but then we're also getting a little bit of a discount. It depends on the library. Some libraries do add like the barcode and the spine label and stuff in house. They do it themselves and some libraries pay the company they're purchasing the books from to do that. So you get a bit of a discount, more of a discount if you're paying the, the company to add all of that on there for you as well.
1: And then I imagine that these books are subject to way more wear and tear than, you know, your standard book that you would have at home. So, like, if going back to like the Emily Henry one, I assume kids' books maybe have more wear and tear. Right. Like yes. How many times can an adult book be read, be checked out at a library yeah. before it needs to be replaced?
2: So as long as there's no, like, damage, no one, like, spills something on it or their dog chews it up or, you know, that sort of thing, it can start anywhere from, like, 50 times or more before it really gets, like, wear and tear. Um, It depends on how hard people are on books. Like, a lot of people are more gentle with books that come from the library because they're kind of more aware of it. But they hold up pretty well. Most of the time we're buying them and they look just like the books that you get at the bookstore, but we've added like a plastic um, cover to go over the, like if it's a hardback, we've added a plastic cover to go over the sleeve so that it's not ripping and it stays on more. And then we also repair books a lot. So if it comes back and it's starting to like the spine starting to separate or the pages are starting to come loose or something like that, if it's a reasonable, easy repair, we just put some glue there pair it and then put it back on the shelf and let it serve more. Fascinating to me. I wouldn't Chill. even have
0: thought of that. I just, I'm like, books exist forever, right?
2: <laughs> no, <laughs> that, that makes sense. Yeah, we do eventually, hardbacks hold up way better. We do pull paperbacks a lot faster. We don't, we try not to buy paperbacks, but there are some books that are only published in paperback. Like a lot of romance is only published in paperback. So those we do
1: buy in paperback
2: and they will not hold up as long.
1: It's so funny because I've heard that Barnes and Noble, for instance, or a lot of major book retailers don't want hardbacks. But now you're saying from the library side, you mostly want hardbacks. We, We prefer hardbacks.
2: We almost never, like unless it is the only option and it is a specific title that someone's requested or we know is really popular, don't typically don't buy it if it's not in hardback. There are exceptions, like with romance novels, like it's never, if it's never published in hardback, will buy it in paperback but for the most part um and like kids books i almost never buy in paperback because they will get destroyed immediately yeah
0: ripped in half yeah
2: (laughs) yeah my one exception is graphic novels because they the pages are heavier they're um like a slicker material and so they come out a lot easier because kids are a lot rougher with the spines and so they're gonna the wear and tear on that is pretty much the same regardless of if it's hardback or paperback. So I tend to just save the money and do paperback there. But otherwise, and I
1: try to do hardback. Correct me if I'm wrong. Don't, for some paperbacks, don't publishers offer something called library binding sometimes? Yes, that is an option. You can do library binding. Um, we typically don't do that
2: unless it's a very popular book just because it's more expensive. But mm. um, there is an option if it's a... They don't offer it with all books, but there are a lot of books that you can get. Um, we call them our specific company calls them pre-binds and so they'll take a paperback and bind it as a hardback um, I've done that before with kids books like there's a series called the magic tree house that's really popular and for a long time they didn't oh, in hard yeah
0: I yeah. remember the magic tree house <laughs> yes. I remember it well yes so they're <laughs> what is it like the it's they're based in like Pompeii and
2: yeah they they have a tree they have a tree house that's magic and it like time travels it's like the dragons Guru of dawn box. yeah I yes. remember all yes. yeah so for a long time, those didn't get published in hardback. So I would order them in library binding because the paperbacks are really flimsy. Um, but they got so popular; they're they have like fifty or hundred books now. It's insane. Are so they, they so uh,
0: popular with kids? Yeah, yeah, they are so oh, really popular. I love that. Yes.
2: Um, so I, like, I order those either library binding or uh,
0: hardback. How do ebook and audiobook licenses work versus physical books?
2: So I don't know all of this because that's not a part of my job, but basically the way that works is that we purchase, when we buy a book, a physical book, we've purchased it and we own it and we get to do whatever we want with it. It can circulate as many times as it will before it's like physically damaged and we remove it. With eBooks, you're purchasing a license that says we can circulate this book 20 times. And then once people have checked that out 20 times, you have to repurchase that license. And so 20 is just an arbitrary number I pulled out of my head. I'm I'm not exactly sure how long. So it's almost more like we're renting them and then you're borrowing them from us. And so it is more expensive, but depending on the company that you work with and the company, like the publisher, it's one of those things that's kind of still so new that they're sort of constantly negotiating how they're going to do it so there's just not like we really wish that there was a better alternative for libraries but for some reason or not for some reason because of capitalism <laughs> a lot of the people who are in control of, of that ebook like the way that works the license they just they really want to make more money off of it and so it's easier For libraries that are in systems with other, so there are like multiple branches in a system, it's easier for us to get more access to eBooks because we are sort of consolidating our our income there. If it's a smaller library, that's just like a county library that's on its own, it's a little trickier for them to afford that. But yeah, it's basically like we're renting the book from the publisher and then you're borrowing it from us. And once it's been borrowed so many times, we have to repurchase it.
0: And this is like, things like Libby, right? That's... Yes.
2: Yes. Libby okay. is a great, yeah. Libby's a great example. That's an app that m- most libraries use for ebooks and audiobooks. So if you are borrowing something in Libby, we have paid to circulate that book a certain number of times. And then when it's circulated that, like, even if you don't read it, if you check it out, which is not to make anyone feel bad, I do this all the time. If you, even if you check it out and don't read it, like you checked it out. And so that counts towards one of our numbers with the licensing, but yeah. Okay. Interesting
0: never knew how that worked
2: yeah um, it's its own like whole world it's a yeah lot of, it's pretty confusing even if you work in it
0: How new is that by the way like it must be like what five years ten not it can't be as old as 10 years I feel like
2: yeah so I started working in libraries 10 years ago a little over ten years ago and I don't remember it being it certainly wasn't like something we focused on until about the last five years or so and then it got really big in the last like two years.
0: So I'm sure it's going to like continue to evolve.
2: Right. So it's so new that like there's still the publishers still have a lot of power over how that works. And so I think as it becomes more common, that will hopefully work itself out. But it's just still a lot of negotiating power.
0: So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of the book bans that have been attempted by certain, I guess, right-wing groups. I read a lot of articles that were talking about how librarians sometimes get caught in sort of like this very tough position (laughs) when it comes to this. Um, And I wanted to know if you have dealt with that um, and just anything you'd be willing to share about it, I guess.
2: Sure. Yeah. So I'm actually actively dealing with that at the moment. So in my 10 years of working in the libraries, I've had until this year i had two books that patrons challenged so the way it works in my system and the way it works in most libraries is if you are unhappy with um, material that is on our shelf you can fill out what's called a reconsideration form and the way it works is the manager takes that form and then our library board will read the material, and then we will decide based on a set of predetermined criteria whether or not the material will stay in the library, whether or not it will be moved to a different, like if it's a kids or a YA book, like if it'll be moved to a different section, that sort of thing. So I've had, up until this year, I had that happen two times in my career. This year, currently we have, um, actually within the last two months, we've had five, and they are all related to the LGBTQ content. There's a lot of particular right-wing group called Moms for Liberty that's really pushing um, the agenda on book banning. It's primarily focused on schools, which have a lot less power to keep books on shelves, which is why it's so important that public libraries be able to keep their books on the shelf. Um, But they've realized that one of the ways that they can sort of try to make something change is to challenge the books on the shelf. Um, We have a policy where there can only be five challenges in the region at a time just to sort of help manage uh, the load for the people who have to review that. Because So to review that in our region, you have to have a master's degree, so there's a very limited number of people who can help us process those forms. Um, I have never seen a book removed from our collection. I've seen them be reshelved to a different location like a YA book be shelved to adult fiction one time there was one that actually was supposed to be a non-fiction for kids and it ended up in a picture book but like the the company we bought the book from categorized it wrong um so that was kind of an easy fix it it just went where it was supposed to be basically but it's it's really hard it's most often content that has sexual or explicit content or primarily LGBTQ content. That's kind of the big one right now. So if you are interested in sort of keeping more of a eye on what's happening with that, there's the American Library Association every year puts out a list of the top 10 most challenged books so libraries across the nation both school and public can submit like oh this is a book that's being challenged at your library or if you're an individual person who knows that it's being challenged at your library you can submit that information and they sort of put all that data together and put out a list of the top 10 um and then we actually celebrate in libraries we celebrate band books week um in september every year where we sort of promote The um, concept of freedom to read, um, the importance of having access, everyone having access to books and not it being sort of categorized to what one specific group thinks is relevant or appropriate. And so if you're concerned about that in your library uh, or your community or you just want to check in and see, you can always go to library board meetings. They are always open to the public. Um, There are certain public comment time, but then you kind of get shut off and then the, the meeting itself happens, but it is always open to the public. You can sit in and listen. That can kind of help you be aware of if your library is facing challenges, but checking out books that are being challenged, reading them, recommending them and requesting them be purchased
0: is all the way you can help do that as well. That's great. Cause I was like, I, I. it's hard to know how to help these things, you know, <laughs> right. because clearly these people are finding a voice in a way to say no. And so right. it's nice to know that saying yes can help balance it out or requesting it or explaining why it's important to you and your, your community or your family or whatever. So that's, yeah. that's very helpful.
2: So the American Library Association, ALA, their website is a great place to start. It's geared towards librarians, but there is a link to like some stuff that you can do that's more public associated. So it's just ALA.org and they have a tab for advocacy and banned and challenged books. And so you can kind of see, you can see the censorship data, um, you can report censorship, and then you can kind of learn about the history of, of banned books week and how to get involved in some other stuff. Um, But they're a great resource to start with. That's
1: great to know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like this is a much larger topic, but could you give us the very quick crash course on how library funding works? Sure. And as patrons, what are the best ways to support libraries in general?
2: Sure. Um, So library funding comes from several different sources, and it depends on the way that your library is set up. So my particular library is a regional system, and we get money from the state and we get money from the county and then we also get some money from our regional system. Not every library has a regional system, so primarily it's either state funding or county t- funding. And that budget is determined by your county commissioners. So a way that you can support your library is to be aware of commissioner meetings which are also open to the public. They usually post an outline somewhere. I would check your county website. But on a like much Easier level, checking out books and attending programs are two of the easiest ways that you can help libraries because most of our funding is based on data. So if we have high circulation numbers, we can say, oh, we're checking out this many books, we need to buy more books. And if we have this many, People coming to our programs or coming into the library every day, we can justify more funding for like the building and programming and stuff like that. You can also donate directly to the library. Most libraries have some of them call it something else, but most libraries have what we call a friends of the library group. And it's a fundraising group and you can do a monthly membership. I think ours is like $20 a month. You can do a higher donation, but that money just goes into, for us specifically, that money goes into programming fees. So if we're throwing a program and we need to buy food or supplies or something like that, or we need to pay a speaker or performer, that money comes almost entirely from our uh, friends of the library. And then a lot of libraries have book sales that their friends of the library put on and all of that money goes back into um, funding the libraries. And your late fees. So if you, if you forget to return a book and you get charged a late fee. It, I hope it makes you feel better that the, the money goes straight back into the library.
1: Um, You're really helping.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's one way. Um, and some libraries are fine-free. Most librarians want to be fine-free because it's a, not, um, it's a barrier to people being able to access materials. But if
1: you are paying fines, those fines are going back into funding the library. And I'm curious mm-hmm. with regards to circulation. I've seen a lot of articles about higher consumption of adult fiction in general since twenty twenty and the pandemic and like, you know, Colleen Hoover exploding and a lot of Gen yes. Z people reading more. Are libraries seeing that too in their circulation numbers or are yes. is it Okay.
2: Yes. Well, yeah, we are. We absolutely are. We cannot keep Colleen Hoover on the shelf <laughs> anytime. She's one of our exceptions. She doesn't publish in hardcover. And so we purchased them. We purchase those and add them. In 2020, especially when a lot of things shut down, libraries were still open and libraries were doing curbside pickup. And so a lot of people could call their library and say, hey, I want these books or put them on hold online or whatever. And then they would come to the library and we would kind of take them out and give them to them in their car. And so a lot of people were reading because there wasn't a lot of other stuff to do during COVID. And so we got a big push for that. And then we do see a lot of younger generations coming in to use the library more and to check books out more. And then we get we get a lot of people who want the Colleen Hoover books and then have read them and then want something else. And so we get to recommend and sort of help them branch out and find other stuff. But we are definitely seeing that and when books get really popular, like Bookstagram or New York Times bestseller list, like a lot of people will come to the library and ask for those books. And so we get to sort of be another avenue of, of how you can get your hands on that book. Like when fourth wing exploded and you couldn't find it in stores, a lot of people were coming to the library to find it. It was never on our shelf. It was checked out <laughs> to someone, but you could put yourself on a wait list. But yeah, definitely.
1: That's very exciting that I feel like it is reading is yeah it's not cool again but like that there's people discovering mm -hmm. reading and and kind of getting more into it
2: yes it definitely I've definitely seen that a lot since
0: 2020 for sure it's very exciting okay so a couple fun book questions to round out the interview um do you a really easy one do you have (laughs) a favorite book of all time
2: I do. It is We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. She wrote The Lottery short story, which a lot of people know about. Yes. So, yeah.
0: I've heard very good things about that.
2: I really love it. It's, so it's gothic fiction, gothic horror, which is a very specific genre that not everybody loves. But I really love it. And she, wrote, she also wrote The Haunting of Hill House, which the Netflix TV show was based on. Um, so if you liked that, you would definitely enjoy her
0: books. But yeah, it's my favorite book of all time you had that ready to go which i guess makes yeah. sense because yeah. you're a librarian but whenever yeah. anyone asks me i'm like
2: it's really I hard i yeah. can't tell you 12 books yeah i have like 12 and then i just i get asked so frequently that i was like all right you have to decide and it's so it's i decided smart. because it's one of two books that i reread every year and i was like all right these oh, well, you got
0: to pick one of those." you have to tell us the other one sorry
2: yeah um, <laughs> no, it's fine yeah the other one is the catcher in the rye by jd salinger Oh, It was, the, yeah, I read it when I was 14 and it was the first book that got me into like literature. And it's one of those that people either really love or really hate, which makes sense. But it's, I read that one and, and Shirley Jackson every year.
1: And I'm curious, what are your most recommended books for patrons? And I don't know if you ever work with adults, but I would be curious, your kid's recommendation and then your adult recommendation, if you have one.
2: So my kid's recommendation is usually... It depends on what they like, but a lot of kids are really into fantasy right now. And so my current recommendation is the Witchling series by Clarabelle Ortega. It'll be a trilogy. The second one just came out. And I think the third one comes out next year. But it's very similar to Harry Potter, but it's really diverse. And it's got a lot of—Clarabelle Ortega is Latina. And it's got a lot of her culture in it. It follows these three girls who don't get sorted into a coven and so they're in their own little coven but their coven doesn't seal is what they call it so they in order to get their adult magic and stay witches they invoke what's called the impossible task and so they have to do this impossible task to try and to make sure that they get to keep their magic and then the the second and third one are just like other adventures with them it's really fun and then, oh, I love the sound of that. Yes, it's very, it's very fun. And then, so adult fiction, mostly what I recommend right now is Emily Henry and Taylor Jenkins Reid because we have a lot of people reading romance at the moment. Um, so I love to recommend Taylor Jenkins Reid's older stuff. Her first four novels are, in my opinion, a lot different than her, what she's publishing now. And so I love to recommend those to people who might not realize that she has older ones. Definitely.
1: What about on the mystery or thriller side or something outside of romance so
2: i'm trying to think of the mystery there's one called the family plot that i really like oh been um, meaning it, to read that yeah i really like that one a lot and then i i end up recommending louise penny a lot just because she's one that if you are interested in mystery or thriller and don't really know where to start um she's got a whole series you can kind of jump in and they're not series it's not a series in the way that you have to read them in order so so that one's really nice. I also love to
1: recommend
2: um, T.J. Klune, which is um,
1: mm. oh, I loved the yeah. um, my gosh, the name is the escaping house. me now. The house
2: of C. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love that one. I love to recommend that, and then I love to recommend. I give a caveat that it's a lot more emotional, but I really love to recommend Under the Whispering Door, which is
1: one of his more recent ones. Carly, you have been such a wealth of information. I feel like I learned so much about libraries today, and I got to dredge up some of my library core memories about this orchid book that I yes, I'm would love I, to go
2: find. I know. I was like, I would love to see this this book now. Um,
1: <laughs> but yeah, it's been really fun to talk about libraries. I I always love to talk about it. So love to share share the wealth and. Carly I don't know if we ever said this but Carly is a listener and she came from our Facebook group so it's so fun to be able to have a listener come on as a guest I know it's really fun to and we have so many library librarians we
2: we really do I was so excited to see that um (laughs) yeah no I was just saying it's really fun as a listener
1: to be able to be a guest well thank you Carly thank you so much for taking the time and for sharing so much with us today Yes, yes absolutely thank you so much for having me right, Olivia, let's get into some end matter here. What is your obsession?
0: I didn't list anything here, but I'm amending that. And I'm going to say my obsession is something that's like very uncool, but I just, I discovered it. So when we were in South Carolina uh, visiting my parents, they live by a beach. And so sometimes I'd work like at the little beach bar for all day. And then when I was done, I would get a glass of wine, but it's very hot. So I would get a glass of white wine, which is what I usually drink by the beach, but I would ask for it with ice. Now I know this is going to be controversial. It's not to me. (laughs) I started getting just like a cup of ice and pouring it in the glass of wine. So I realized this is not not the way it's supposed to be done, but not only was it very refreshing, it cut the sweetness like significantly, which I enjoy because sometimes white wine bothers my teeth. And also I found that I got... This this is not a surprise. I don't know why I'm like shocked by this, but I got way less intoxicated, and so I just felt generally better. But I still got to enjoy the crisp, refreshing wine. I don't know. I'm just like I don't care if it's uncool. I'm this is my life now.
1: So (laughs) I wine with ice. (laughs) Fully endorse this. I call this ice wine. There is a thing called ice wine, which is really sweet wine, and it is. I don't recommend it. But I call this ice wine. It is my summer outdoor beverage of choice and my ideal ratio is about three quarters ice to one quarter wine and I also like yeah guess exactly what it is and yes. like watered down I love it I am fully with you
0: I was like this is so much more enjoyable probably healthier for my just general being less alcohol hydrating yeah or at least it balances out yeah <laughs> I'm with you just changing the world over here mm-hmm. anyway what's your obsession
1: I have two. My first one is I would like to endorse making a Funfetti cake for Girls Weekend. So, My friend Natalie made a full Funfetti cake for Girls Weekend. And we had like half of it after dinner the first night. And then um, we had some for lunch the next day. It was such a treat. Funfetti cake is also just a time portal to childhood for
0: me. Oh, it's so good. When... I feel like we should tell people that when I helped you with the Christmas in July party, you had extra unfrosted cupcakes, some of which were Funfetti. And you were going to throw them out. And I was like, no, 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 no. Give me those. I was like, I'll bring them to Jake in my mind. Was that going to happen? Who knows? And so the next day when I was like half half dead, I just sat on the couch and I ate like four unfrosted Funfetti cupcakes while watching Sex and the City. And it was really an ideal an ideal afternoon. So I I completely support this obsession. I I don't judge you, but I do recommend having frosting. You know, I'm I prefer a light frosting mm. or none. Mm. Interesting, it's, interesting. I I know it's look at me, ice and wine, unfrosted cupcakes. So uh, that is my first obsession, and my second obsession
1: is I am not a reality TV person. I I generally don't watch any reality TV. Do whatever you want. I'm happy if you love it. Olivia and her murder wives or whatever. Murder wives.
0: I would watch that in a second if it existed. Someone make that show.
1: But when I was in Maine, it coincided with the debut of the new Real Housewives of New York. And my friend Molly is very into the Real Housewives franchise in general. So we watched it together. And then since we've gotten back, I've been watching the new episodes. I am
0: enjoying it immensely. I need to watch this. I need to watch it.
1: I also like that most of the new Housewives are younger than the previous New York Housewives. And so I'm just I'm very into the drama. I'm very into it.
0: I love Jenna Lyons. So or at least I used to. Yeah.
1: She's good TV. Yeah.
0: I'm excited to watch at some point. Uh, So I think I'm going to stick with this. Good. What about books?
1: I haven't finished anything. I am in a space with my writing where I'm very in my head. And even though I'm still trying to read, I've just been putting down a lot, not the fault of the books. It's totally my mental state. So I've picked up a lot of things. I haven't finished anything, but I'm hoping to have something new to report next week.
0: But what about you? So I admittedly haven't finished this, um, but I'm about halfway through. But I started reading Meet Me at the Lake by Carly Fortune. I actually started reading this A few months ago, and I just read a couple of pages and I was like, no, this, this needs to be read by a body of water. So I saved it and I was at the beach the other day in South Carolina and I started it and I am just really loving the, like, I grew up in a lakeside resort narrative. Like it is really cozy and it made me want to, I don't know, change my childhood, grow up in a resort. I'm not sure. Anyway, I'm liking it a lot. Did you
1: see in the Facebook group, somebody posted that this has been picked up yes. by Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's production company to be made into yes. a movie under part of their Netflix deal?
0: How do major? Do you think I think... talked to Carly about it? I was just going to say the same thing. Because we would be, we would be, I mean.
1: Could you imagine 100%. Zooming with Prince Harry?
0: No. Me either. I would literally be. I don't know. I think I would panic and like just start doing a British accent back to him. I think
1: it would be a good no reason. I, I just I would <laughs> have nothing articulate to say.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm, I'm so happy for her. Me too.
1: Well, that's what we've got for you this week. If you'd like something else, in two weeks, we have our August book club and we are reading Family Lore by Elizabeth Acevedo. And this is her adult debut novel about a woman who um, has. A psychic gift to predict when people will die, and so when she throws a wake, everyone in the family is kind of wondering whose death she has foreseen, and a kind of all the family gets together, and all sorts of secrets start coming out. I'm so excited to read this. This one was Olivia's pick, but I'm a huge Elizabeth Acevedo fan, and I I cannot wait to see what she is bringing to the adult space. If you would like more of us. Come join us in the Facebook group, which we've mentioned multiple times. It's one of my favorite places on the internet. You can also find us on Instagram at Bat on Paper Podcast. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman.
0: And I'm at Instagram at Olivia Mentor. And before I forget, I just wanted to say thank you to all of the librarians out there who volunteered for this. I chose at random. So no one have hard feelings that it wasn't you. But I appreciate and love you all. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.